Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thanks for tuning in. On Sunday, the Roxbury Unity Parade brought out the rich cultures of its community and celebrated the diversity of the neighborhood. Participants didn't let the rain dampen their spirits as they celebrated community, neighborhood pride, and cultural diversity at the Roxbury Unity Parade on Sunday. The outdoor program moved attendees with music and dancing while fostering a peaceful space to connect with their community. The Roxbury Unity Parade is here to celebrate the neighborhood of Roxbury, but we are also here to celebrate Black Boston. When I was growing up, Roxbury was predominantly Black, so we want to celebrate those who came before us, and we want to acknowledge those who are doing the work today. Now in its sixth year, the parade recognized several leaders who are making positive impacts in Roxbury. Neighborhood residents want people to know that Roxbury is not defined by negative news coverage, but by the relationships built within its close-knit community. Sometimes when people think about Roxbury, they think about problems, they think about crime, they think about bad news stories. But every community is a community of people, and people require joy and some celebration, and people want to share the best of their experience with others. So this parade is a way of saying, we're part of the whole of the city of Boston, we share in its joy, and we invite you to watch us or join us in celebrating that joy and pride. The day celebrated the rich African-American history of the area and was a reminder that the history of Roxbury is entwined with the history of Boston. As one of the oldest established communities in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, Roxbury's influence is undeniable. It is important that everyone comes out, everyone supports the Roxbury Unity Parade because Roxbury is the black heartbeat of Boston. There have been so many contributions, past, present, and future, that will come out of Roxbury. Everyone needs to celebrate Roxbury. We celebrate Dorchester, we celebrate Roslindale, and today is Roxbury's Day. And next year will be Roxbury's Day. And we will continue to celebrate and uplift the contributions, the resilience, the beauty that is Roxbury. It is very essential to just stop and pause and think about the, the sheroes and heroes of Roxbury. And, and, and this day provides that for us. You know, if we don't take the time to look at the contributions, people will forget. People will forget the toil and the pain and the blood, sweat, and tears that Roxburyans have exhibited throughout the century. That's why it's so essential for us to march today to highlight all of the great attributes of Roxbury. Although the weather had other plans, this year's Roxbury Unity Parade was unadulterated black joy. And BNN couldn't be prouder to call this neighborhood home. Mayor Michelle Wu and the city of Boston are collaborating with city mayors from all over the world to fight climate change at the C40 Boston Transport Summit, Creating People First, Electrified Cities. Last Tuesday, Mayor Michelle Wu shared her plans to transition Boston to a greener city at the Boston Transport Summit. The mayor's office promised to install more EV charging stations and transition all city school buses from diesel to electric in order to better our communities and our climate. 
She's joined forces with C40, an organization that brings together city mayors from all over the world to fight climate change through inclusive, science-based and collaborative approaches and building healthy, sustainable communities. We know that climate change is too big an issue to tackle with just one approach. So we're pushing back against the idea that we have to choose between mode shift and electrification by pursuing both. Boston is accelerating our EV efforts to ensure all residents who need to drive have the ability to do so without compromising the health of our communities or our planet. By 2030, every resident in Boston will be a 10-minute walk from an EV charging station or an EV car share. And two weeks ago, we released an RFP seeking creative new ways to provide curbside EV charging for street parking in our neighborhoods. This school year, we replaced 20 of our diesel school buses with electric ones and have ordered 18 more for next year and we're applying for the 2023 Clean School Bus Grant Program through the EPA to keep growing our fleet. From bike share to sh safe streets to reliable, affordable transit systems, we need to continually improve our system to make it easier for Bostonians to leave polluting vehicles behind and really to become a fossil fuel-free city. At the same time, we're all facing this across the world, we need to enable vehicle electrification for trips that won't be made by bike, bus or train. The city of Boston and C40 cities convened to discuss how meeting climate goals requires not only vehicle electrification, but also improvements in transit, walking and cycling, fewer private vehicles and more compact urban planning. Our grid is already fairly green and is getting greener every year. We have a clear path towards uh, you know, more fully decarbonizing the grid. But to take advantage of that in transportation, we need to shift from burning gasoline, these are engines that are maybe 20, 30 percent efficient, to powering those vehicles by, uh, with batteries and electricity. Um, this both reduces overall greenhouse gas emissions, it reduces local air pollution, it reduces maintenance costs for the vehicles when they're operated as part of a larger fleet. The impact of air pollution and climate change disproportionately impacts communities of color, with neighborhoods like Dorchester and Roxbury taking the brunt of environmental effects of climate change compared to areas like the seaport and Back Bay. Today what we're really talking about is how do we make that happen faster at the local level so we can really not only address the climate crisis, create um, healthier communities and cities, um, cars and, and particularly diesel trucks also produce a huge amount of air pollution in cities that is particularly impacting those who are most vulnerable in communities. So it's really critical that we accelerate um, the transition to electric vehicles and increase mobility options for people around our cities. Culture Night's music festival is back for its second year, and it lit up Mattapan for a night of community and justice through art. I'm going to tell you this one time Well, I want you to be mine Can I come and see you now? It was an evening of music, artistry, and unity in Mattapan, and residents did not have to travel far to enjoy it, as Culture Nights Music Festival took over Mattapan Square, Municipal Lot 14. I love that it's in the city. It's literally across from Burger King, Farmer's Market, where I shop. This is the route home, and I didn't have to take the bus downtown to get to it. I love that it's in Mattapan. Um, and I love that this is just our people that we see every day. Um, live music that you have to usually pay to see, it's free, and I love that. 
hosted by Danny Rivera, Artistic Director of the Artist Initiative for Revolution, or AIR, and the Mayor's Office of Equity and Inclusion Cabinet, Culture Nights provided the neighborhood with an outlet for creative expression. I think I was, I was really looking for more opportunities within my neighborhood. I live within this neighborhood, Mattapan, looking for opportunities to really elevate artists also to elevate regenerative art, art that speaks to the times. Nina Simone talks about it being the artist's duty to reflect the times in which we live. And I don't think that it's just enough for us to talk about what's happening. We got to do something about it. Featuring a variety of local vendors and diverse local artists, the event invited all to dwell in an inclusive space to appreciate the vibrancy of their community through food, music, and art. It's extremely important to have events like this in the community because it kind of lets everyone that lives in the community, especially with Mattapan being such an immigrant uh, part of the city of Boston, it's important to show that there is importance of showing the, the different cultures that actually live here and across the city of Boston. So these events are extremely important. And like I was saying, we have to continue to support them so that they can keep happening. AIR supports artists who understand the power of culture to shift narratives and make lasting change in their communities by creating programs to uplift BIPOC Bostonians and create equity and inclusion across the city. There's a Mattapan we don't get to hear about, a community rich with culture and tradition. This is the Mattapan Culture Nights is bringing to the surface, one that's a beacon of creativity and art for black and brown communities. Mattapan is a beautiful city, a lot of good people here, a lot of talented people here, and it needs to be on the forefront. It's not about negative, we have negative negativity in every community, but Mattapan is rich with talent, talented black and brown people, and that needs to be highlighted and embraced. Folks need to come out to Mattapan a little more, spend a few dollars, put some money in the local economy, the power of art this evening was palpable, as artists of varying disciplines shared their passions and inspirations through the universal language. And for art to flourish, we must nurture it with our support. I mean, growing up as a musician, I've been singing since I was three years old. So I always say that music is one of my first languages, and it's the type of language that I like to communicate through because it doesn't follow language barriers. Anyone can listen to some music and connect to it, no matter what language you speak, no matter where you're from. The final concert of the Culture Night series takes place next Friday, July 28th at 88 Seaport Boulevard from 6 to 9 p.m. in the Seaport. BNN will be there jamming and all are welcome to enjoy. Mayor Michelle Wu and the City of Boston's Commission for Persons with Disabilities celebrated the city's annual ADA Day in honor of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act over 30 years ago. On Tuesday, the City of Boston's Commission for Persons with Disabilities hosted a celebration for the 13th annual ADA Day in honor of the 33rd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act signing in July 1990. Those with disabilities gathered at City Hall Plaza to spread awareness about ADA, as well as initiatives to improve access in the Boston area. 
it protects us so that way um, we have the rights of uh, every other individual in in our country. Um, and you know that we're able to work, we're able to go to functions, we have access to buildings uh, with ramps or um, elevators or beepers for those who might be blind um, and, and just for us to connect and just be uh, your average person. Although ADA protects the rights of disabled Americans, many U.S. cities are still lacking in accessibility services. ADA advocates are calling for an increase in the city of Boston's policies and programs to ensure accessibility in all forms, including easier access to buildings and creating paths for those with disabilities to live without barriers. So for me, inclusivity is everything. I have been paralyzed since I was 14 and I've ran into barriers personally and professionally. And I, my goal is to spread awareness about people living with all different types of disabilities and just have just uninhibited um, barriers, like just universal access for everybody. I, to me, it's a, a basic human right to just have ac you know, access to hospitals and schools. 12% of Boston's population identify as disabled, totaling near 80,000 individuals. This number does not include older residents, visitors, or commuters, expanding this number into the hundreds of thousands. Without proper measures to accommodate those with disabilities, Boston cannot be considered an equitable city. Things like the ADA do go a long way in providing inclusivity uh, for folks with disabilities. And because the reality is that, that one in five Americans identifies as a person having a disability. So when you think about it, that's quite a large number. Also, the disability community is a community that people could join at any time, whether that be through, unfortunately, an accident or, or through illness or through old age. You know, the disability community is always growing. And because of that, we will always need access, whether it be physical access or, or virtual access to things. And we have that because of the ADA. Over 120 countries have banned the use of cluster bombs in warfare, but the United States is not one of them. President Biden recently approved these weapons for use in the Ukrainian war effort. And last week, members of Massachusetts Peace Action rallied at Park Street to raise awareness of cluster bombing and its long-lasting risks. Last Friday, impassioned Bostonians took to the streets of downtown Boston, demanding an end to cluster bombing, an action that the U.S. military has taken part in to assist Ukraine in their war efforts, but has devastating consequences. It's very wrong to send cluster bombs to the Ukraine. These are munitions that can explode uh, years after they are deployed and, uh, and used in the battlefield. Uh, when the United States sends cluster bombs to the Ukraine, they're sending a signal to uh, the Russian forces that they can just use uh, mines all over the place, minefields, and they're again uh, causing death and devastation uh, long after the conflict is over. I think the losers in this war are the Ukrainians in, on both sides, that uh, this is not a war that the U.S. belongs in. Cluster bombing is a method of dispersing large numbers of tiny bomblets from a rocket, missile, or artillery shell and releasing them over a scattered area. Many of these bomblets do not immediately detonate upon contact with the ground, making them a grave hazard for those in the vicinity. 
bullets, the bomblets, last indefinitely. We have no idea if they ever decay on their own, and they are not easy to find, but children out and playing can step on one accidentally, can pick one up and take it home. They are, I mean, it's like tossing lethal weapons into a bunch of innocents. The fact that these bombs can lay around and then some little kid could come along, think it's something to play with, and then that, that child is gone is just outrageous. Um, the fact that these munitions can scatter the length of three, not just one, but three football fields will tell you how um, dangerous these are. And especially where other countries have signed a convention that they will not use any of these cluster bombs because of the blatant, blatant uh, destruction of human life. Protesters question U.S. involvement in the war and if it's actually beneficial to our interests. We've got no business as part of warfare, you know, taking easy shots at uh, civilians. And this victimizes civilians. We did this big time in Laos and we just, you know, it was under the radar because it was Laos across the ocean. And now this is just normal, normal warfare business with us and the inhumanity is criminal. It's criminal. The U.S. agreed to fulfill a request by Ukraine to continue supplying these extremely dangerous weapons to support the war effort. Opposers from Friday's protest hope they can build enough support to pressure Congress to ban cluster bombs, bringing an end to the senseless destruction of Ukrainian life is their priority. Boston could just hum it upon entering a Skippy White's record store, and he would deliver the name of the song or artist you were looking for. That is the power of Skippy White. During the 1950s, representation of black music on Boston's radio stations was dismal. But one man with a taste for rhythm and blues changed the music scene with a brown, groundbreaking radio show that highlighted the great black artists of the times. Skippy White is a legend in the music and record community in Boston. From his iconic radio show on station WILD 1090 to his record stores, Skippy was the first disc jockey to create a rhythm and blues station for the community to enjoy. BNN sat down with him and event organizer Isaac Resende to explore Skippy's influence on Boston radio and how the upcoming Skippy White musical tribute concert will honor his legacy. Enjoy the interview. Hey gang, get around. Skippy White is back in town. Like it hot, like it the Skippy White's record stores have delivered rhythm and blues, gospel, blues, and soul for over 60 years all throughout Boston. And I'm curious, Skippy, what first attracted you to this music? Well, of course, I started on WILD first before I opened the, uh, the record store. And uh, it was the fact that there was no black music being played on the radio at that time. Um, so I found out that the record store that I was working for at the time, which wasn't mine, um, you, you really had to play every record for the customers mm -hmm. because they didn't know the music. They didn't know what was coming out, what was new. Um, and so my idea was that um, if I could 
talk a radio station into playing rhythm and blues, um, then at least the people would hear it, they would hear the new music, and they would know what to come in and ask for. Amazing. And as you were saying, um, your career with WILDAM, it actually started after you left Boston University, um, which you did in 1957. So doing that two-hour uh, weekend show that you did, what did you find yourself learning about music from radio? Well, I, I will have to say, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I already knew a lot about rhythm and blues at that time because I had been a record collector for years. And when I came to Smile and Jack's College Music Shop, which is the store that I work for, um, he hired me because he knew that I really knew a lot about the music. And then, um, as I said, I wanted to get the uh, music played on radio. Mm -hmm. And I went to the owner of WILD, which was playing Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin music at the time. And uh, I talked my way into a two-hour Saturday afternoon program, which expanded to four more hours on Sunday. Hmm. And um, I was playing black music. I was playing rhythm and blues. And uh, it uh, escalated to a point where he had me picking out the rhythm and blues music of the day uh, and giving it to the other DJs at the station, even though they didn't particularly care for what I was doing <laughs> and the music that I was giving them to play, they were used to Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and so forth, but um, I gave it to them and they played it because they had to. Um, and one by one they started to leave. Mm. And so the owner of the station not only gave me more credit uh, and, and had me picking out the music for the whole station uh, sort of effectively made me the music director. And then he started hiring other disc jockeys, both in the Boston area and outside the, this area. Uh, and that's when we got Wildman Steve and Jimmy Earlybird, and they came on board. That's incredible. You definitely put something in motion when they brought you on board, uh, WILD. Yeah. And 63 years is a lifetime in the music industry. It's a long time. Especially the record industry. Can you take us through some of the highlights uh, that you've had during that time? Well, you've got to remember that uh, there's been a lot of changes over the years. When all those years, I mean, we went from um, rhythm and blues and a lot of blues as part of that. And then later on, it morphed into soul music. And then from there, you had disco. And then from there, you had rap. In other words, the music kept evolving. changing. And evolving, evolving. yeah. And, um, but we, we, were, we were all, WILD was always on top of the music. And I think that's why the people were listening to WILD um, I mean, I remember in those days where you could drive down Blue Hill Avenue and every car that you would pass would have their radio on and they were all tuned to WILD. And uh, Isaac, I'd love to bring you into the conversation. Uh, what do you believe is the legacy of Skippy and how, 
How do you feel that we can best honor his, his work and the dedication to records in this digital age of music? Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a heavy question um, to carry on his legacy. But his legacy is rhythm and blues music, the real stuff, right. which is, you know, um, you know, the, the, not, only the vo not, not only the vocals, but the, the rhythm behind it, the bass, the, the guitar, the piano, how all of the music comes together to paint a beautiful picture, which is rhythm and blues music, and black music, as he calls it. So his first words on the radio in 1960, as he told me, and I'll never let him forget it, his first words on the radio were, in 1960, when he got the microphone in front of him in the radio station, black music is back on Boston radio. So he reintroduced black music to Boston in a way that no one has. He, he really blazed a trail. So what I would say in terms of carrying on his legacy is to dig into the old stuff. It's fine to listen to the new age music, but I would dig in to, to the roots of where all this music started, which is the old blues, the rhythm and blues. And a great place to start would be The Time Tunnel, which is a radio show that he airs every weekend on Saturdays on The Urban Heat, which is a radio station um, out of Hyde Park. And also on Sundays, he does a gospel show called The Gospel Train. But both of those radio shows are, if you really want to dig into where um, all of the music that we listen to today, or most of it, or a lot of it, where it's rooted in, is the music that he plays every week on his show. So one way to pay tribute to him would be to listen to that show, and when you listen to a song you haven't heard before, or you get introduced to an artist you haven't heard before, dig in. Learn the music, learn these artists, learn their stories. That's a good way to pay tribute to Skippy White and what he's done for the city. Thank you for that. And Skippy, what, what currently has your attention now? Uh, what, are you, what else are you currently working on? <laughs> well, of course, I've closed the stores, so I don't have attention to new music coming out anymore. Um, I play on the radio, as Isaac just mentioned, mostly the older rhythm and blues, the uh, roots, the roots of rhythm and blues, we'll call it. And uh, that has my attention for the most part, because I want people to know how the music evolved, how it got a start and how it evolved. And uh, that's really what I do on my uh, radio programs. Excellent. And speaking, going back to this idea of tribute, uh, there will be the uh, Skippy White Tribute Concert, which is happening Saturday, August 5th at Florian Hall. Why was it important for you to uh, hold this event and what should audiences expect? Well, after 63 years of service to this community, I think it's about time that the city pay him a big thank you, pay him a big, um, this is a, a way for the city to repay him or thank him for his many years of service to this community. So we've titled it, An Evening with Skippy White, Musical Tribute to a Living Legend. I mean, there's, this is jam-packed with um, entertainment. Um, we have local entertainers. We have entertainers who are known the world over. Uh, Tony Lynn Washington, who's Boston's Queen of the Blues. Yeah. Um, she has sung, um, has been an artist in and around Boston and around the world. She's toured with the Bob Hope USO tours. She's been all over the world. And um, she'll be co-headlining the show along with Milton Wright, who's a, a retired judge in Boston, 
but he also has a sort of a secret music career that he's going to introduce to the Boston, to the community of Boston for the first time that I, I know of. But we have other local acts, like a lot of people know JC, uh, Boston's Godfather of Soul, who's a James Brown tribute artist. We even have an artist coming all the way from Cape Verde. Mm. Wow. His name is Mendez Silver. Um, I ran across him just while at a resort vacationing in Cape Verde. We connected, this event came up, he saw it as his perfect opportunity to introduce himself to America. So he'll be giving his debut performance at this, sh at this show. He, he sings James Brown, you know, all of those soul rhythm and blues records. So he'll be there and it'll be his debut performance for, the, um, for America. So there's, there's a lot of exciting special surprises that we invite the whole city to come to. Oh, that's fabulous. I'm like chomping at the bit now. <laughs> uh, and how can viewers learn more and, and attend? Well, they can call a phone number. We're doing it the old-fashioned way. So let's rewind the time and let's go back to the 1960s. If you want a ticket, you call 857-212-2737. That is 857-212-2737. Feel free to give me a call. We will come and hand deliver these tickets to you guys and get to know you like the old days. So that was done on purpose so that we can engage with the community that's coming out. Tickets for an evening with Skippy White musical tribute will also be available at the door. Thanks for tuning in, Boston. That's our show for tonight. As a reminder, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, Astound Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. And make sure to check out our BNN HD Xfinity Channel 1072. You can also hear us on the radio, Fridays at 7.30 and 9 p.m. Fridays and Monday through Thursday at 9 p.m. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon. I'll see you next Friday.